Welcome to the Capital Link Shipping Podcast Series. I'm Nicholas Bornodis, President of Capital Link and organizer of today's podcast. Today's discussion will focus on how IMO 2020 is going to change the energy world. IMO 2020 has been the talk of town, and we are delighted to have with us uh, leading industry experts. Namely, we have Tobjorn Kjus, Portfolio Manager in Visting Trading, and Jim Kirenza, Managing Director from DNB Markets, Inc. Uh, Tobjorn and Jim will discuss and share with us their invaluable insight on this topic that they both know very well. And without any further delay, I will pass the floor to Jim and to Tobjorn. Jim, go ahead. Thank you very much. And it's a pleasure to be here with Torbone today. We've uh, worked together for many years, and over the last 20 years, his resume includes BP, Statoil, and uh, last but not least, uh, D&B. Um, with January 2020 and the IMO changes in allowable sulfur content and shipping fuel, we're seeing a lot of changes in the market. Ship owners have ordered more than 2,000 scrubbers. Oil refiners' stocks prices have performed very well. Scrapping appears to be increasing. And star analyst Torbone Hughes has left D&B to start up Vistin Trading to take advantage of upcoming market opportunities. So Torbone, starting with the last point first, tell us about what these changes mean to you and what they mean to the market. Yeah, thank you, uh, Jim. Uh, thanks for a flattering uh, intro. Um, so basically, I've been an oil analyst for, for 17 years now. Um, and this change, this specification change in uh, shipping and the sulfur uh, content allowed to burn is the largest specification change that's ever happened in the oil industry. So people probably know that there's been a gradual tightening of uh, sulfur, sulfur levels in, uh, in road transportation. Uh, for example, in Europe, we're down to 10 parts per million sulfur now uh, in road transportation in the diesel. Uh, in shipping, uh, they can still burn 3,500 ppm sulfur in, uh, in the fuel. And that's going down to 500 ppm um, uh, by 1st of January 2020. And this has been uh, a long time in the cards, of course, because uh, shipping has been the most uh, polluting um, uh, industry when it comes to sulfur. Uh, and uh, in, when you look at transportation sector, uh, shipping is only 7% of the transportation sector, but still emits 90% of the sulfur. So um, uh, it's way overdue that something is done. And actually, this decision was taken already in uh, 2008. Uh, by the International Marine Organization, which is the um, UN body uh, that uh, regulates this. Uh, and there's been several occasions and possibilities along the way to postpone this uh, to a later date than 2020. And the last chance to postpone this uh, implementation date was uh, in October 2016. But then all the different uh, studies and um, and reports had been uh, been issued, and the and um, uh, the the final date uh, was not then postponed. It became first of January 2020. Now, this is um, uh, means that the shipping industry needs to go down from three and a half percent to 0.5 percent sulfur. Uh, and in order for this to not be a problem for refining, 
we would need to see probably 30,000 scrubbers installed by the shipping industry by uh, within the next 15 months. Uh, we think uh, that's, of course, not possible. So this means that it's going to have an effect on the refining industry because we see that um, uh, scrubber orders, yes, they are coming up, but uh, we will not have enough scrubbers installed by uh, 2020. Uh, we assume that we might be reaching somewhere between 2,000 to 3,000 scrubbers. Uh, and even if they're all um, potentially installed on only large ships, which doesn't seem to be the case, by the way, uh, it would not solve the problem, of course. There's about 23,000 ships in just uh, container lines, in uh, dry bulk, and in uh, oil tankers alone, which is the ships that mainly consume the 3.5% sulfur. So what this really means is a big challenge for refining. Uh, and we think that um, uh, even uh, with um, uh, the scrubbers being ordered, maybe two to 3,000 scrubbers and some cheating, we will lose about 75% of the demand for high sulfur fuel oil uh, in the market in 2020. Um, that probably needs to find other markets. Um, now, other markets for high sulfur fuel oil is very limited because shipping uh, is behind about 50% of the market for high sulfur fuel oil. Uh, the other parts that where you use high sulfur fuel oil is number one, power generation, and then maybe mainly, of course, in the developing world. Uh, and there's some uh, industrial production, like cement production, for example. Uh, refineries use uh, uh, three, four hundred thousand barrels per day of this themselves to generate the power in the refining, to, to run the refinery. And there's, of course, asphalt, uh, which is not a big market. It's about 1.7 million barrels per day globally, and it's not like the asphalt market can suddenly explode to the upside uh, consumption-wise. So we think this has to find its way into power generation, uh, the high sulfur fuel oil. Um, now, even larger challenge or equally large challenge here is um, to produce enough middle distillates, the diesel side. Um, now, marine gas oil is, uh, is an already um, large product in the bunker fuel. It's a couple of million barrels per day, which is marine gas oil, which is already being used in the so-called ECA zones, the, um, the zones on the both sides of the U.S. and in the northwest Europe which is already a tighter regulation where you can only emit 0.1% uh, in sulfur in the fuel. Um, so, uh, so what's going to, uh, to happen, uh, we think, is a um, uh, is, um, uh, challenge for the refining industry to produce enough low sulfur fuel oil, middle distillates, uh, number one, for direct consumption as marine gas oil, but number two, also for blending to create the new 0.5% uh, fuel that's going to be used in the shipping industry. So, um, so um, I'm not sure. Um, your next question, um, Jim? Yeah, let's talk about something that you brought up about a month ago, that maybe there would be enough gas oil and low sulfur fuel available. And I guess maybe means, assuming we don't have a recession between now and 2020, but let's talk about the risk of a possible deficit of gas oil. Uh, let's talk about yeah. what, you know, will higher prices for gas oil 
drive sufficient demand, a supply in a reasonable period of time? And what will be the refineries industry's impact on the ultimate oil demand? Because I assume the refineries will be working at higher capacity going forward. Yes, I think that's also uh, one of the reasons why refining shares have been performing um, as a function of IMO. Because, uh, and we agree that um, uh, in 2020, the global refining system will probably need to run pretty hard to create enough middle listlets. We think it's going to be a situation a bit similar to 2008. Uh, and what happened in 2008? Well, we had a diesel squeeze. Um, in March 2008, we already had $25 per barrel uh, margin for diesel. Uh, but diesel demand kept on increasing after March 2008, when we had $100 per barrel crude price. Uh, what, what that means is that when you have a $25 margin for diesel, you would see all the hydrocracking uh, units and all the cokers in the world be running as hard as they can, because they are then the money machines in the refinery. But when they cannot run any harder and all that capacity is, is fully utilized and you still need to produce more diesel, then the only way to get more diesel is to get your straight-run diesel, which is directly from the distillate tower in the, in the refinery, which means you just need to run more crude oil. And that happened in 2008. Uh, and from, uh, from March to July in 2008, you saw refinery runs being pushed higher despite global oil demand kept on falling through the whole year, but diesel demand did not fall. It kept on rising because uh, there was uh, Olympics in, the, in China and they needed to fill up their diesel inventories and they also had a big earthquake in China that took down the grid, so they need to fire up their uh, diesel generators. Uh, so basically in that period, the, the Brent price went from 100 to $147 per barrel because of this gearing effect because when you have no more spare capacity on the upgrading units, the, the coking and crackers uh, in the in the refining system, you have to run more crude. And then you need three barrels of crude to get that one incremental barrel of diesel. And that's how you get $250 per barrel almost in 2008. And we think a similar situation could arise in 2020. It will be enough diesel, but it will be required to run uh, the refining system harder. Um, so... So basically, we think even simple refineries will need to run uh, pretty hard because total uh, utilization rates uh, will need to be brought up. So that means the first step for refining is to utilize fully the, the uh, cokers uh, of the world, the, uh, the upgrading units, uh, where which is currently today not running um, full out in, in China and in the U.S. particularly. So, so that's the first step. Cokers will have to run uh, harder. Uh, and also, we think there's going to have to be yield shifts, uh, stealing from gasoline and, um, and move towards uh, gas oil diesel. Uh, but that would require uh, um, spreads to blow out uh, between uh, high and uh, low sulfur products and uh, heavy and, um, and light products, and also between uh, diesel and uh, gasoline, because otherwise you will not... Uh, feed the vacuum gas oil into the hydrocracker, which is the diesel machine in the refinery. So, so uh, these steps in the refining system will require more and more wide spreads between the different products, price-wise. Uh, next step is for the refining system to segregate the streams better, because there are some giveaway on the sulfur levels. 
So that means they're going to build some new tanks, some new pipelines to segregate streams that today ends up in resid fuel, but uh, instead could, up end, could end up as being 0.5% uh, fuel oil for the shipping industry. So these steps are going to be gradual, uh, but they would require uh, a wider and wider spreads uh, from uh, between the products price-wise in order for the refineries to take those steps. But even at the end of the day, when all these steps are taken, um, it will not solve the, the problem full out for um, uh, heavy, uh, for the high sulfur fuel oil, because when you run the system harder, you create even more of a problem for the high sulfur fuel oil, just like we saw in 2008. Um, so in that effort to, to fix the diesel problem, you saw that the the um, oversupply of high sulfur fuel oil became even worse. And that's how the spreads in 2008 between those two products was blowing out to more than $700 per ton. Um, this is not priced into the market today. Uh, the spread between those products is uh, pricing around uh, yeah, 320-ish for a Sing 380 and uh, about $10, uh, 10, $15 more for uh, Rotterdam. Uh, um, 3.5% versus um, uh, gas oil, for example. So this is not priced into the market today. Uh, the market is almost like it's pricing in a recession today because that's the only way I could see um, see the refining system not being uh, pushed to the limits in 2020. Because if you think about it, we have five, six, seven hundred thousand barrels per day, a layer of uh, demand growth for diesel every year. Um, now, when you, on addition, on top of that, puts the IMO change, where you uh, suddenly the, the um, uh, global refining system will have to produce another two to two and a half million barrels per day more diesel, just from 19 to 20, for blending and for direct consumption, you have a big challenge for the refining system. So basically, for this not to be a challenge, uh, we need a fairly large recession that, that chops off uh, diesel demand uh, growth in 2019 and 2020. And I would say that's almost like the market is pricing in today. You know, two, two questions. One is, when you look at the forward curves for the high sulfur fuel oil and the gas oil, um, you've already talked a little bit about the mispricing. And so in your opinion, you know, how much is the market mispricing? And the second part of the question is, how much incremental further demand will the refineries have for oil at the beginning of the refinery process relative to where they are today, you know, looking out to 2020? Yeah, the, the, um, the forward curves uh, first uh, is pricing in um, about, yeah, I would say, 13 14% IMO effect for high sulfur fuel oil because that's uh, the backwardation structure uh, if, you, if you take out uh, what's coming from the crude oil side, because all the refined products, they will have the same type of structure as the crude oil curve, because that's the most, most liquid curve. So if you extract that, you'll see that probably around, uh, I would say, 14% uh, is priced in for high sulfur fuel oil. Uh, for gas oil, diesel, uh, it's only about 4% that's priced in uh, when you adjust for the, for the crude curve. So this is, I would say, very, very conservative pricing at the moment uh, in the forward curves. We think it's going to be much, much wider when we get to 2020. Uh, and if you, uh, if 
high sulfur fuel oil needs to compete with coal in power generation. It needs to drop in price by more than $250 per ton by 2020 because uh, coal is pricing down at around $130 to $140 per ton in burning equivalent uh, with uh, resid fuel at the moment. So um, you have a, a margin of um, uh, high sulfur fuel oil versus Brent, which, yes, it has been pricing in a bit, but it's going to be much worse, I think, when we get to, um, to 2020, because it probably needs to correlate with um, natural gas and, at the end of the day, uh, probably also coal uh, in, um, in uh, 2020, if, if, um, uh, uh, if it's not enough to drop to natural gas price. But that's still lower than where the market is today for natural gas. Now, for the diesel side, as I said, it's only priced in about 4% IMO effect, which means also that when you look at the simple refinery forward curves today, you put in the different prices for calendar 2020, you can see that uh, it's pricing in at around negative minus $150 per barrel. Uh, normally, that simple margin should be about half a dollar to a dollar. Uh, for the very simple uh, refining system that uh, when you just look at um, distillation tower and the natural content of the crudes. So this basically means that if the forward market is correct today, uh, we, uh, we will see refinery death in 2020 for uh, simple refineries. We don't think that's, uh, that could happen because uh, the market would need to see higher utilization rates for refining, which means we need help probably also from simple refiners to run harder to get enough diesel in 2020. That is, unless we have a recession first. Uh, and of course, that could happen, um, but that's basically already priced into the market, in my opinion. Uh, and I think it's, um, it would need to be a very severe recession in order to keep diesel demand growth negative, because diesel um, demand is growing all the time, and the only period we've seen it drop is the 2008 and 9 recession. So we need to see something similar to that uh, in order to uh, for the, the forward market to be correct uh, in its pricing right now, uh, in my opinion. So um, uh, what was the other question again? If, if the refineries have to work this at this high a utilization, what is the incremental oil demand uh, that they yeah. require? Yeah, and that, that will depend on uh, how much spare capacity there is in the upgrading units. Because if there's spare capacity in, uh, in cracking and coking, for example, you don't need to run necessarily so much more crude oil. Because then you'll just fill up, you'll, you'll buy straight run resid fuel from a, a refinery that doesn't have a cracker and you feed your cracker with that. That's the feedstock. But we think into 2020, all these units will be fully utilized, which means that um, you'll have a gearing effect of uh, three times the uh, demand growth for diesel. So I think it will all depend on, uh, on, on a mix of factors, of course, and, and we could also risk that uh, this situation squeezes the oil market to an extent similar to 2008, which could then by itself lead to a recession. But of course, then uh, that will not be a problem for uh, for positions that we're taking because those are flexible financial contracts that you just exit when uh, when they um, uh, when they blow out. We will have a home run 
2020 if the if the um, Brent price uh, responds like in 2008 and the spreads are uh, something similar to 2008. And and finally, tell us about the SPV that you're establishing, and and tell us about uh, Vistin Trading, please. Yeah, so uh, Vistin Trading is a fully owned uh, subsidiary uh, of a pharmaceutical company. It sounds very strange, but the reason is that um, our main shareholder already controlled this uh, pharmaceutical company. Um, so in order to get a quick start and to raise capital fast, um, he wanted to establish this trading company uh, below that um, uh, pharmaceutical company. So as of now, Vistin uh, Trading is about uh, three-fifths of the value of the whole um, uh, company. Uh, we raised about 300 million uh, NOOCs, which uh, we have put uh, a decent part of that to work already, placing bets on the IMO 2020. Um, and we also want to offer uh, a launch of a um, fund-like structure, uh, an SPV, where uh, the participants will be able to uh, utilize uh, our knowledge about uh, the oil derivatives market and how that's going to respond to the, um, the IMO 2020 change. Because if you want to have the cleanest possible uh, exposure to this, um, you should go directly into the oil derivatives markets. That's, that's going to be the cleanest exposure. It's not so clean to, for example, buy shares in complex refineries or buy shares in uh, in shipping companies that have uh, bought scrubbers and have uh, efficient ships, or um, or maybe you want to buy a scrubber producer. All these kind of exposures are, yes, they are IMO 2020 exposures, but they're not clean. They're more like second and third round effects, because the first round effects will be coming in the oil derivatives markets. So we have identified uh, about 10 trading positions that we would be um, um, uh, executing uh, on a sequence uh, in this uh, SPV uh, and uh, uh, for investors that want to participate in the most clean um, way to play the IMO 2020, um, it's possible to, to contact us to, uh, to participate in this. Um, so so uh, this is going to be a fund-like structure, uh, a special purpose vehicle that will only live until the summer of 2021, because then uh, if nothing has happened by the summer of 21, this is not going to, to happen, uh, then these effects will not uh, take place. So it's going to be enough to, um, to uh, close it down in the summer of 21, then all the investors will be, um, be handed back, uh, all the investments and the profits, which we think will be um, uh, very large. All the risk-reward in these positions that we have identified is very skewed to the upside. Very good. Tor Torbon, thank you very much. No problem. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion, and obviously it's on a topic that really makes the headlines uh, for in the industry on a daily basis. So thank you, Jim, for directing the discussion, and of course, um, thank you uh, very, very much, um, Tobjorn, for your uh, really uh, invaluable insight. So we have now reached the end of our discussion, and I'd like to thank both Jim and uh, Tobjorn, of course, uh, for being with us today. This podcast is available on Capital Link's website at www.capitallinkpodcasts.com.
Also, it is available on iTunes and Google Play. Now, Capital Link aims to bring you weekly podcasts on critical topics for the shipping industry, discussing with industry leaders and decision makers as we did today. So thank you to everybody for being with us. Thank you.